This is Africa Digest. Nineteen hundred hours Central African time. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Spumele Lezondi. We are broadcasting live from Johannesburg in South Africa and you can find us on 15235 kilohertz on the 19 meter band if you're in West Africa. And you can also find us on 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. I am with Onel Zinti with Sanima Tabula and Nedo Chemane. Your top stories. Zimbabwean activists will find out tomorrow if he'll be granted bail. Today is International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation in Economics. Rwanda to sell a five-year treasury bond worth 12 million US dollars this month to fund infrastructure projects. And in sports, South African sports fraternity mourns the death of the country's rugby icon. Here's Onel Nzinzi. Thank you, Spoo. Looking at your news updates, Nigeria's President Muhammadu Buhari is reported to be unwell. The 74-year-old former army general had been due to resume work on Monday in the capital, Abuja, after a holiday in London. On Sunday evening, his office announced he was to prolong his stay on doctor's orders as he was still waiting for the results of medical tests conducted during his stay. Buhari's office has already had to counter rumors during the trip that Buhari was critically ill and had even died. Meanwhile, in Abuja, protesters had turned out to demonstrate against against Buhari's economic policy and call for solutions to end a crippling recession. Zimbabwean detained Pastor Ivan Mawarire will know he, this Tuesday if he will be released on bail or spend the next few days in jail until his next court appearance on the 17th of this month. Mawarire remains in custody after he was arrested last Wednesday as he landed in Zimbabwe from exile in the United States. He is charged with insulting the national flag and trying to overthrow President Robert Mugabe's government. His lawyer explains. On the 1st of February 2017, um, uh, aboard the South African Airways uh, landing at Arinda National Airport, at the arrival terminal, that is when he was detained by members of the Central Intelligence Organization, who subsequently handed him over to uh, the law and order section of the Zimbabwe Republic Police. The charge that he's facing is uh, a charge of, of subverting a constitutionally elected government. It being alleged by that uh, his uh, video footages and... Uh, the call that he made while he's in America, the people gather in New York, uh, deliver a message to President Mugabe, who was attending the summit that he should resign, was a, an, an act to subvert a constitutionally elected government. President John Wagufuli has ordered Tanzania security forces to crack down on the drugs trade in the country, adding that no one should be spared, even the, those who are top politicians. Magufuli nicknamed the bulldozer for the way he pushes through projects has launched a drive against corruption, tax evasion and poaching since taking office in November 2015. Tanzanians have long complained that top officials or those with government connections have often been spared prosecution for corruption and other crimes. Magafuli says he seeks to show even those in high office will be held accountable for criminal activities or poor performance. 
The World Health Organization is on Monday commemorating the International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation. WHO estimates that 200 million girls worldwide have undergone female genital mutilation, despite FGM being outlawed in the East African country. The practice still continues among several communities. Sarah Kimani has more. Once a girl is cut, she's seen as ready for marriage. The cut is performed to girls as young as eight. The effects of the cut last forever. And non-government organizations plan international. They now are getting to understand why we are saying no to FGM and even no to child marriage. The United Nations has set 2030 as a target year to end child marriages and female genital mutilation. And lastly, presidential candidates in Somalia have rounded off campaigning with an unprecedented televised debate on Monday. Wednesday's presidential vote is part of the rebuilding efforts in Somalia, which was shattered by more than two decades of conflict. An insurgency by al-Shabaab Islamist militants submerged plans to, for each adult to have a vote. So Somalia's 300 members of parliament will instead vote on the next president. Somalia is one of seven majority Muslim nations whose citizens were barred from travel to America under Trump's executive order. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelin Tsinsi. It's 19.05 Central African Time. Thank you very much, Onelin. Now, Zimbabwean detained Pastor Ivan Marere will know tomorrow if he will be released on a bail or spend the next few days in jail until his next court appearance on the 17th of this month. Marere remains in custody after he was arrested last Wednesday as he landed in Zimbabwe from exile in the United States of America. He is charged with insulting the national flag and trying to overthrow President Robin Mugabe's government. Channel Africa reporter Kumbero Munjerere has more. 39-year-old Evan Mawarire was arrested on Wednesday last week as he landed in Zimbabwe after six months in exile in the United States. He was charged with an attempt to subvert a constitutional government, an offense that carries a 20-year sentence. On Thursday, police officers added more woes to Pastor Mawarire after they charged him with insulting the national flag in contravention of Section 6 of the Flag of Zimbabwe Act. He is also accused of denigrating the image of the Zimbabwean government last September in New York where he allegedly organized a massive anti-government protest when President Robert Mugabe was attending the United Nations General Assembly. His lawyer Harrison Nkomo explains. On the 1st of February 2017, um, aboard the South African Airways uh, landing at Arinda National Airport, at the arrival terminal, that is when he was detained by members of the Central Intelligence Organization who subsequently handed him over to the police of the uh, to uh, the law and order section of the Zimbabwe Republic Police. The charge that he is facing is uh, a charge of of subverting a constitutionally elected government. It being alleged by that uh, his uh, video footage and uh, the call that he made while in America, the people gather in New York and. Um, uh, deliver a message to President Mugabe, who was attending the summit that he should resign, was actually a, a, an act 
to subvert a constitutionally elected government. Mawarire unexpectedly inspired thousands when he posted a video with the hashtag this flag in April last year. The viral clip of him lamenting against the country's moribund economy, corruption and human rights abuses led to several anti-government protests and large-scale strike actions that paralyzed cities across the country. Rights groups are calling the current charges against Mawarire trumped up, criticizing the government for attempting to subvert peaceful activism in the country yet again. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbaro Munjerere in Johannesburg. It is 1908 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, long-ruling leader of Angola, Jose Eduardo dos Santos, announced that he will no longer run for a new term in August in the August presidential election in the nation. Doshandos announced João Lorenzo, an army general and currently the Minister of Defense, as his successor. Our correspondent in Angola, Phil Nello, reports. 38 years long-serving Angolan leader José Eduardo Santos is definitively no longer running for his second and last term in the August presidential elections as the Constitution of Angola provides. Thus, the ruling MPA has already defined the list of its candidates for the deputies and for the highest positions in the government for the next general elections. There are a total of 355 candidates on the list between principal hopefuls and substitutes. Defense Minister Army General John Gonçalves Manuel Lorenzo heads the list approved Friday by the Central Committee of the Ruling Party. He will be the MPA's candidate for President of the Republic. The current Minister of Territorial Administration, Burnito de Souza, is the second in the list to run for the Vice Presidency of the Republic. The Central Committee of the MPA also announced the name of Fernando da Piedad Dias dos Santos, a former boss of the intelligence service and of the police to run again for the leadership of the National Assembly, the Angolan Parliament. After months of suspense, the official announcement was made by the party's president, José Eduardo Santos, at the opening of the third extraordinary meeting of the MPLA Central Committee, which took place on Friday here in Luanda. José Eduardo Santos spoke of the criteria that guided the composition of the list. As the party prepares to participate in the upcoming elections, the Central Committee has approved the name of João Manuel Gonçalves Lourenço to be the head of the list and the candidate to the presidency of the Republic and the name of Comrade Burnito de Souza as the second of the list and the candidate to the position of Vice President of the Republic. The list was prepared by the political bureau, as the party's bylaw says, taking into consideration the contribution from the intermediate bodies of the party, from the parliamentary group and from the secretariat of the political bureau. There was president of MPLA, a ruling party in Angola, José Eduardo Santos. The new MPLA candidate for the upcoming elections, João Lourenço, said he was ready for the new mission. For the party's candidate, which has ruled the country since 1975, consolidation of democracy and economic strengthening should be the focus of the MPLA in this new phase. For a while I have been prepared by the party and I have also prepared myself 
Because what was announced today was already something that we have discussed as done deal at the highest level of the party. I'm ready to accept this challenge posed on me by the president and the party. I will do my best to honor this trust. The country is no longer at war, so I would not like to raise the issue of my military status or as a former military, because currently the challenges are different. Our new challenges are now the consolidation of democracy and strengthening our economy. It is a huge challenge. Though it is a difficult task, it is not impossible to overcome. So I am positive that we will make it. This is not a work of candidate Jean Lorenzo, but the whole MPA, because I understand that the party is a true machine, and thus I have the full support to lead into this new challenge. Our message now is that MPA will continue to respond to its main mission of improving the living conditions of Angolan people. Remarks by the new MPA's candidate for the upcoming presidential election, João Lorenzo. Meanwhile, MPA veterans have already pledged support to the party's list leader for the August elections. The support is reflected in the words of Amadeo Amorim, a veteran of the Comrades and one of the members of Process 50, who was imprisoned in the Cape Verde and Tarrafal jails in the colonial era. I think so because who leads the party has a broader view to lead and have strategic thinking. If the political bureau has named these two people to lead us in the elections, we have to believe that they are the right choices to lead the country and the party. Thus, I hope they comply with their roles because they have our full support. Employees veteran Amadeu Amorim. 38 years later, José Eduardo Santos abandons the ruling of the country but remains in the lead of the MPA party, which has ruled in Golan since 1975. Sources close to the MPA point to political exhaustion, health issues and national and international pressure due to his long-standing presidency of the Republic as the main reasons for his withdrawal. José Eduardo Santos came to the presidency of the country in 1979 following the death of the founder of the then People's Republic of Angola, Dr. Antonio Agustino Neto, who died of a cancer in the former Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, now Russia. Phil Nello, Channel Africa, Angola. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
It is 19.15 Central African Time. Find us on Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. Now, the South Africans, South Africans rather, will later this week find out what issues will be tackled by the government when their president, Jacob Zuma, delivers the State of the Nation address or SONA. Zuma is set to deliver his annual SONA this Thursday as issues of corruption, unemployment and the deaths of 94 mentally ill patients continue to make headlines. The Southern African nation last year narrowly escaped a downgrade status by ratings agencies as a result of political infighting targeting the Treasury and Finance Minister Pravin Godan. South African political analyst The Offender spoke to Zikona Meso. First, I don't think you will report or talk on any of the political dynamics that you just mentioned because a lot of those things are currently the narrative within the ANC in terms of the leadership struggle and we know that your SONA is primarily about the business of government rather than the business of the political party. So I think um, three or four topics would dominate the SONA. The first one definitely would be uh, the, um, um, the issue of radical economic transformation. In what sense are the government going to uh, implement this notion that they also established in the January 8th discussion. And the second thing that I think we will see there is uh, definitely a program of land reform that is more focused. Third thing that I'm expecting is the commitment to the National Development Plan and linked to ways to get the economy growing because that's the biggest single problem of government at the moment because if the economy is not growing, the tax income is not big, and we must remember that the budget is two weeks after the SONA. And then the last thing, I think he would also refer a little bit to international relations. I think Trump may be mentioned, maybe not in name, but at least the relationship between us and the U.S. And then overall, they already told us that the SONA would be a kind of a tribute to Mr. Owatambo in his centenary year. So I think he may even start the SONA with, let's say, a page or three about the legacy of our temple. Mm-mm. Now, another uh, burning issue, um, excuse the pun, you know, that people are, are desperately waiting to hear on is the student protests that have been taking place. And of course, we know that um, the government has been criticized for what uh, many are saying is lack of leadership on this front. Are we likely to hear the president um, addressing this particular issue around these fee increases um, in uh, tertiary institutions? I'm afraid not. I think they've shied away from responding to that in light of the commission that is currently investigating the whole issue and ways of affording it and so on. And, and I think that commission is having their hearings this week. So I think what the president will do about uh, higher education, which you quite right, it is a burning issue, it's a government issue, I think they will kick for touch on that one, saying that in light of the investigations, let's give the commission time and in that sense, uh, like I said, in the soccer metaphor, kick for touch. And on a similar um, note, you know, there's another issue that just cropped up recently around these uh, deaths of 94 mentally ill patients who were released and pointed to negligent, you know, um, uh, NGOs. Um, Are we likely to hear something from the president around this? Because there has really been no word from his office um, on this, except for the fact that um, he's still waiting um, for the Minister of Health to update him on this particular matter. Well, I hope so. I think it will be wise 
to respond to it because if you really look at the content of this issue, it is three times worse than Marikana. As a matter of fact, it's even five times worse than Marikana because in Marikana you had people died due to government action, but they had the ability to defend themselves or they had the ability to make decisions. For these 94 patients, they did not have the capacity to fend for themselves. That makes it so far worse than that case. And I hope he responds to it, but I think the fact that it is so heavy, it would also, maybe what we would get in the sauna is maybe a kind of an apology of some kind, but uh, I think they will on this one also shy away because it's very hot. And you know the implications of this can also become part of the national political scene because already the MEC uh, has resigned, but I think she was pushed. She didn't resign really. Premier Makura is a good premier, but he's not in the Zuma camp. And the Minister of Health, Aaron Mutsuanedi, is also not in the Zuma camp. And, you know, this can be a very good excuse for the president if he wants to change around his cabinet to use this, mm. almost the political advantage of this crisis. 1921 Central African time. He, that was the offender who is a South African political analyst and he was in conversation with Zekona Miso. Former South African rugby legend, U.S. van der Vesteisen has passed away at the age of 44. Van der Vesteisen was rushed to hospital in a critical condition on Saturday and despite showing signs of improvement yesterday, he passed away this afternoon. Van der Vesteisen, who fought motor neuron disease since 2011, played 89 tests for the Springboks between 1993 and 2003 and was the record holder for the most test series scored before it was broken by Brian Habana. Simon Burke looks at the life of Joost van der Westhuizen. Joost van der Westhuizen is through. He's run away. He's going to score. Joost van der Westhuizen has momentum got him over. The referee's right there to yes. Momentum got him over. No doubt in my mind about that. Joost had a knack for finding the gap. At six foot one, he was tall for a scrum half. But as a naturally gifted rugby player, he could spot an opening. He scored 38 tries for the Springboks in 89 test matches. He debuted in 1993. When he played his last test in 2003, he was both the holder for a record number of test caps and test tries. And while those records have been eclipsed, Joost was the trailblazer, racking up the numbers in the green and gold. Indeed, Van der Westezen was a patriot who wore his heart on his sleeve. Do it for my country, do it for my team. Uh, I enjoy it. Uh, you could see the guys enjoyed it out there. Born in Pretoria on the 20th of February 1971, Joost revolutionized the scrum half position in modern rugby. His distinctive number nine jersey and automatic inclusion in many a rugby supporters' test team of all time. Joost captained the box ten times, and while injury hampered him towards the end of his career, his attitude to the game he loved never wavered. Like they say, it's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get up. So yes, I've, I didn't have a good run the last uh, or the previous two years, and um, well, freak accidents, and it's part of the game. I can't complain. Van der Westezen remains one of South Africa's greatest rugby players, winning the 1995 Rugby World Cup and playing in three Rugby World Cups in total. He also won the Tri-Nations in 1998. For his provincial team, the Blue Bulls, Joost won two Curry Cups 
and appeared for the Bulls Super Rugby side 71 times. He's got US for the best season and US has opened up definitely to try the first one of the Rugby World Cup. A World Rugby Hall of Famer and a force to be reckoned with on the field of play. Controversy in his personal life and a debilitating severe form of motor neuron disease saw his life post-rugby fraught with challenges. However, the legend of the number nine, that was Joost van der Westezen, has ensured his place in rugby history. That was a rubber. Rather, that was Simon Burke, rather, reporting on that story. Now, today marks International Day of Zero Tolerance to Female Genital Mutilation. The highly intrusive and violent practice includes procedures which intentionally alter or cause injury to female genitalia for non-medical reasons. FGM is recognized internationally as a violation of the human rights of girls and women and a reflection of a deep-rooted inequality between the sexes and constitutes an extreme form of discrimination against women. Anti-FGM activist and author of the book Cutting My Flower, Ra Busby, elaborates. The conversations that have been generated within the community to practice FGM um, has led to, you know, this uh, practice that was one secret and no one used to speak about it. In fact, you were forbidden to speak about it. Now, it's in, you know, broadstream media. So, I do believe that they have had success in raising awareness and taking this practice out of the shadows where it used to be. Now, to date, more than 200 million girls and women in 30 countries, particularly in Africa, the Middle East and Asia, are affected by this. Where is it that we're going wrong in your view? I think we're going wrong in in that, or maybe it's not even about going wrong. It's about um, maybe focusing on education and mm. being able to, and people to be able to be comfortable to talk about female genital cutting and and to open the door to even speak about our genitalia, which for many many years have been forbidden. Mm. Um, I think that is one of the one of the main um, reasons why we've seen uh, such a low or little progress within South Africa and some parts of Africa. And education, you know. Um, to educate communities about what actually really physically happens to people who have had this experience. Mm -mm. Now, this is a subject particularly very close to your heart, right? Um, You wrote a book um, there called uh, Cutting My Flower. Tell us a little bit about uh, your story and why you're so passionate, you know, about this particular subject and really just uh, people getting that much-needed education out there. Well, I was born in Cape Town and grew up in a Muslim family here locally and when I was nine years old, my mother took me. I didn't know where we were going. I thought we were going on an outing. It was rare for my mom and I just to go out on our own. And we ended up going to the house of a circumciser, uh, a lady who was set up. She had a room in our house where there was a bed and medical instruments that, you know, even to my young mind, I recognized at the time that this is something that... Um, that, that's, that is not a one-off. Mm, this is something mm, that is done regularly. Mm. So I experienced genital cutting and um, there was a split that occurred within my psyche, the, the mm. shock of the experience, especially since it was with, with two women, yeah. one whom I trusted, um, really affected my entire life and I spent 
many, many years looking for what is it that has happened to me mm. that has caused me to be so separated from myself and my emotions. Now, we know that, um, of course, this very violent um, act, uh, it has absolutely no um, uh, no positives uh, for it. You know, it, you can't medically, it really doesn't do anything. It's actually just got cons. There are no pros to this. What, what are some of the of the um, consequences, you know, of this? You're talking about um, you now, you know, questioning your life and how it's affected you. Tell us a little bit more about that. Some of the consequences. I mean, this happens when you when you when you do enter such a state of shock and and such such violations occur to you. Something happens within your body that allows you to be able to survive. Um, and one of the things that happen is that you free certain aspects of who you are. You have to. And especially when you're a young child. Um, so for me, that was the most profound effect. And then the disconnection from my emotions, that there mm-hmm. was a disconnect. I could not really even access my emotions. The, some of the, the, the other effects for people who have had, you know, the different types of female genital cutting is severe mm-hmm. pain and bleeding. So with every, with every moon time, with every menstruation, there is intense you're actually in agony. Mm. Um, you are more prone to have infections. You get septicemia. You have urinary infections and retentions. You have painful cysts and abscesses. Mm. Um, and for the most severe forms of FGM, you experience a tearing of the vagina when you have to give birth to children. Mm. Um, mm. So there is a secondary violation that kind of occurs. Definitely, definitely. Now, what kind of work are you doing? I know that um, you really have, uh, you know, uh, been spearheading a lot of um, education around this. Tell us about the work that you do within your capacity as an activist uh, to educate around this issue. When people invite me into small groups, which is how it's been happening um, naturally, is I go into small book groups and I um, and I have discussions about, you know, the practices that we we experience within our communities that we may never talk about outside of our communities because for many years I was searching for other people and for other women who would talk about the subject. And when I didn't discover those women, I realized that that's what I needed to do. I needed to find ways to come into communities of different kinds of communities and generate conversation. That is Ra Busby, NTFGM activist and author of the book Cutting My Flower, talking to Zekona Miso. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. The South African government says it will gazette its final mining charter by March this year and amendments to the Mineral and Petroleum Resources Development Act by June 2017. They are both important policy guidelines for transformation within the mining industry. Mineral Resources Minister Museben Zizwane's announcement brings closer legislation meant to redress racial economic inequality and concerned companies' struggle with lower commodity prices. He was speaking at the opening 
opening of the mining in Daba earlier today. However, the Chamber of Mines has threatened to take the government to court over the latest draft, which requires companies to keep black ownership at 26%, Amina Akram reports. Minister Zwane says government remains committed to the principles of shared prosperity and responsible investment. He also urged investors to share with black people, communities and workers in their shared aspirations. Zwane has given the assurance that government will provide an enabling environment for investment in the country. We have put efforts in place to ensure that amendments to the principal mining legislation the Mineral and Petroleum Resources Development Act are processed and finalized as a matter of agency. This process is well underway and public hearings are taking place towards the finalization of the bill and we expect it to be concluded by 27, June 2017. On the revised mining charter, the regulatory tool governing transformation in the sector, the final mining charter will be gazetted by March 2017. Zwane says beneficiation will remain a priority in South Africa and more focus given to small and medium entities in the sector. We are of the firm view that a new era of junior to mid-tier size mines is upon us. The large mining giants of today had their genesis in the junior mining sector. We further believe that most job opportunities lie with small to medium companies. Hence, in 2017, we will be focusing on the promotion of investment with a special focus on the junior miners. We will continue to give them the support to enable them to thrive. However, mining analysts say government has not said or done enough to incentivize investors. Mamocheti Malopanye is an independent mining analyst. Still haven't said anything significant enough to assure one that the industry is sort of like reassured in terms of what is happening. We have seen in the past couple of weeks arguments that the industry itself and the ministry are at loggerheads and he hasn't addressed that for me. But also because this is an investment conference so he must address for me what I feel was the issues that were hanging between business and, and, and the government side. It's, it's, it's been reported that he's been taken to court by one mining company and here we are, investors are here. They probably wanted to hear what is happening with that. Gideon Duplessis is, is with solidarity. There are firm commitments regarding the charter to be released. So I hope this time around the commitment regarding the dates will materialize. But secondly, we are concerned about the content. It's just a concern that the minister did not reveal what were the changes made to the charter. And secondly, um, the burning issues uh, regarding the MPRDA that the minister also did not give us some inside info on that because it's the content that will either track investors or chase investors away. Government has called on investors to discuss and engage on issues of transformation. Zwane has welcomed the peaceful wage negotiations concluded last year in the platinum and coal sectors. Mining contributes to about 8% directly to the South African GDP and provides 450,000 direct jobs. I am Amina Akram in Cape Town. Your time is 1935 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And my name is Spumele Lezondi with you until 2000 hours Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest. And let's take a short break and we will be back right after this.
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Change your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educate and entertains and empowers young african entrepreneurs change your game change your game empowering the next generation of outstanding african entrepreneurs tune in on fridays 1000 hours to 10:45 a.m central african time and on saturdays 1300 hours to 1400 hours central african time channel africa the voice of the african renaissance We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Nineteen thirty-seven Central African Time. Now the Economic Justice Network of the Fellowship of Christian Council of Southern Africa, in collaboration with other international church and civic organizations, is hosting an alternative mining in Daba, which is parallel to the mining in Daba currently taking place at the Cape Town International Convention Center. Doctor Reverend Susan Matale, General Secretary of the Zambian Christian Church, explains. As the name suggests. Alternative means the other view, the other side. So actually, alternative mining in Dara has to do with bringing out an alternative voice because, as we know, there's a big mining in Dara happening here in Cape Town as it does every year. So I think we felt that there was a voice that was missing in this dispensation, and that is the voice of communities who are impacted and who are actually you know, negatively affected by mining activities in these areas. So we are here to listen, first of all, to the people that are directly impacted, to hear their stories, so that we, as a collective body of faith-based organizations and civil society, and many people from different countries, could then articulate this voice to let you know, the world know, to let the mining endeavor know that while they are feeding themselves with wonderful stories of what they are doing and while they are profiteering on the backs of the ordinary people, they also ought to know that these are human beings who must benefit from their own mineral wealth, from their own countries, and who must also be viewed and looked up as human beings who deserve 
decent lives because we know and we have heard that people are being impacted by pollution, air pollution, water pollution, environmental pollution, and we know that people are being displaced and being sent to places where they cannot grow crops, and so their livelihoods are being taken away from them. That's why we have gathered here to you know, bring together a coordinated voice of advocacy issues which we could then, at the end of the day, share with the mining corporations because we also have an issue with our own governments, our own governors, who we believe side always with the conglomerates, the multinationals. But we believe that them being our leaders, they should also hear our voices and see things from an alternative position rather than always just dancing to the music of the multinationals because of the money. Now, mining operations have been taking place in the region of Southern Africa for over a century now, and local communities or the population in the area haven't benefited even a single cent from some of these uh, operations. So what would be the way forward from this alternative mining in Dawa's perspective? Yes, you pointed out a very important issue here, that mining has been going on for a long time. And look where our communities are. Because the money that come out of our ground, our mineral wealth, is going to develop other countries. Because most of the money that is being generated from the sale of the mineral wealth does not come back here. It remains in those countries, and as you know, it goes to you know, tax havens. We heard of the recent story of the Panama Papers. So there's evidence that the minerals are just being transferred from here over to there, where they are already developed and they are getting more wealthier. So our issue here is to bring to the attention of our own leaders, our governors, our government, that we are missing out on the opportunity. We are missing an opportunity to take advantage of this mineral wealth before it is depleted, to develop our own countries and for posterity for our future generations via good policy environment. You know, the current policy environment, we believe, favors only the multinationals. It does not favor our community. And this is one very strong point that we want to make, that if we are to benefit from the mining activity, our governments must have in place policies that will guide the sharing of resources, that will guide the redistribution of resources to the people to which this wealth belongs. And so policy is our key number one, because we also want to ensure that the contracts that our government signed with the multinationals are revisited because, again, they're given too many tax holidays. They can mine here for years and they'll be given tax incentives, which means they don't have to pay tax because they have to recoup the money that they have invested. And yet we know that this has been going on for a long time and it has been to the disadvantage of the local people. And all these things must be revisited. We want good mining policies that benefit the people. We want the agreements revisited. 
and we want also proper natural resource management. We want people to pay for the damage so that eventually when the mining operations are over, we are not left with the huge holes in the ground with uh, you know nobody to take care of them. We have seen examples of mines which have shut down and they're complete ruin and there's nothing that our governments can do about it because they don't have the resources to rehabilitate those places so that they can be used again as agricultural land or for other benefits, you know, for other means of generating resources to uplift the people from their doldrums, from their, you know, poverty into some kind of livelihood that gives them respect and dignity. That was Dr. Reverend Susan Matale, General Secretary of the Zambian Christian Church, talking to Wandele Kalipa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi, informing the world about Africa. Ntakwana Ngatani, in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo, in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Time for your economic news with Wisani Matabula. In your economics news this hour, South Africa's Mondi has bought UK-based packaging firm Excelsior Technologies for 41 million US dollars from funds managed by private equity firm Endless LLP and a certain minority shareholders. Mondi's chief executive David Hathorn says the British business will support the development of Mondi's consumer packaging division. Excelsior makes packaging mainly for food and owns a packaging technology for microwave steam cooking. Mondi, which has operations in more than 30 countries, makes and sells consumer packaging and paper products as part of its Europe and International Division's packaging paper business. Meanwhile, the South African government says it will gazette its revised mining charter by March this year and the Minerals and uh, Resources Development Act bill by June. They are both important policy guidelines for transformation in the mining industry. Speaking to delegates at the start of the 2017 mining in Daba conference in Cape Town, South Africa's Mineral Resources Minister Museben Zizwane said government remained committed to the principles of shared prosperity and responsible investment. We have put efforts in place to ensure that amendments to the principal mining legislation, the Mineral and Petroleum Resources Development Act, are processed and finalized as a matter of agency. This process is well underway and public hearings are taking place towards the finalization of the bill and we expect it to be concluded by June 2017. On the revised mining charter, the regulatory tool 
governing transformation in the sector. The final mining charter will be gazetted by March 2017. Tanzania needs a 46.2 billion US dollars in investment over the next 20 years to revamp aging energy infrastructure and meet soaring demand for electricity. Investors have long complained that a lack of reliable power is an obstacle to doing business in East Africa's second biggest economy. Tanzania aims to boost power generation capacity to 10,000 megawatts over the next decade by using its vast natural gas and coal reserves to end chronic energy shortages and boost industrial growth. Rwanda will sell a five-year treasury bond worth 12 million US dollars this month to fund infrastructure projects. Bids for the bond, whose coupon will be determined by the market, will be received from February 22nd to February 24th. Rwanda has uh, seen uh, issuing has been issuing bonds as part of a plan to develop its uh, small capital market and fund infrastructure projects. The country wants to reduce its dependency on aid to finance its national budget. Japanese auto giant Toyota has revised its full-year forecast but warned of an uncertain outlook with the car industry bracing for Donald Trump's presidency with his expected protectionist agenda. The firm lost its crown as the world's top-selling automaker last year. Toyota says the upward revision is based on the current trend of financial results. Japanese export, exporters enjoyed a boost uh, since uh, the November election of Donald Trump as U.S. president as the yen weakened on expectations his big spending tax-cutting plans will fire inflation and force the Federal Reserve to hike interest rates. Looking now at your financial indicators at this hour, the dollar trading at 13.32 South African rands at 10.31 Botswana Pula and 9.82 Zambian Guacha also trading at 0.882 the British pound and 0.92 against the euro. Commodities market, gold $1,223, platinum $1,004 per fine ounce. The spot price of Brent crude oil is at $56.90 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. And it's time for your sports news now. Good evening, sport fans. With the latest Channel Africa Sport News at this hour, I'm Neto and ETO Chamani. Starting off with rugby news. Rugby World Cup winner Joost van der Westeisen has died at the age of 45. The former South African scrum half was rushed to hospital on Saturday with his key organs beginning to fail, having suffered motor neuron disease since 2011. Van der Westeisen played 89 tests for the Springboks between 1993 and 2003. He scored a then Springbok record 38 tries and widely regarded as one of the game's finest ever scrum halves. Former Springbok player Mac Massina says van der Westeisen was a very great rugby legend. Yeah, I mean, just considering that, you know, he is really just fought very hard, you know, to be where he was in terms of his health. And uh, it's just a very just sad moment now in South Africa just to find out 
just a couple of you know hours that you know he was converted and he's no more. A really, really, really true legend of rugby. You know, just played always rugby for the Blue Bulls in uh, Pretoria, and of course, you know, he made his debut. You know, um, against Argentina, you know, a couple of years back in Argentina, and then all of a sudden, you know, with the disease that uh, he's been fighting, you know, for a couple of months really at the end. Uh, he's no more. Masina says Van der Westeisen was a difficult customer to play against and his loss is indeed a sad one to South African rugby. Yeah, it is uh, sad news, you know, just considering that, you know, uh, he's contributed a lot in terms of rugby in this country. The man who was involved in, you know, first World Cup here in South Africa in 1995, probably very just famous for that. And then he did actually just captain the Springbok team, you know, later in uh, well, the World Cups, I think in 1999, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, another box didn't really just do well in that tournament. I think, uh, you know, we came third. Nevertheless, you know, after that, he came back again. He played for the Blue Bulls, you know, trying, you know, to make his way forward again, bringing all the other players. A very, 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 very tough man, you know, just to play against. And you I mean, if a lot of people, you know, will tell you the guys that they have played against him, you know, it's one of the guys that you really wanted uh, him to be, you know, with your team because it's a very, very, very difficult customer just to play against. In football news, the prize for the winners of Sunday night's African Cup of Nations is much more than the Continental Crown and a $4 million check. There is also the invitation to the Mid-Years Confederations Cup in Russia for Cameroon. Eight countries compete in Russia in June with the now traditional World Cup warm-up event. It lasts for two weeks from June the 17th to July the 2nd. The Confederations Cup is a tournament for the reigning continental champions from FIFA's six confederations, Africa, Asia, Europe, Oceania, South America and CONCACAF, the grouping of North American and Caribbean countries. Cameroon will play in Group B at the tournament, where their opponents will be Australia, Chile and world champions Germany. The other group at the Confederation Cup is made up of Mexico, New Zealand, European champions Portugal and the hosts. The government of Kenya is Thursday this week expected to pass a budget of more than $20 million during the next cabinet meeting to pave way for the preparations for Chen 2018. Channel Africa's Francis Mutegi has the story. Football Kenya Federation President Nick Mwendo was in Gabon on Saturday where he made presentations to the Confederation of African Football's Executive Committee on Kenya's preparation for the championships. In his report, he assured CAF that the Federation will have at least four venues ready by the deadline to ensure Kenya is not stripped of the hosting rights. They have some tough questions about infrastructure, about the budget. Um, we have been promised that the budget will be passed in the next cabinet meeting. And so I have hope uh, and strong belief that uh, with the cooperation we've had with government so far, that we shall not let this big event go to anyone else. Heki Butler reclaimed the IBO junior flyweight belt he last held in 2011 when he forced Filipino Joe Canoy to quit at the start of the eighth round on Saturday night. Butler, who had spent nearly six years at straw weight before outgrowing the division, was too strong for his less experienced opponent. But he ate a fair amount of leather early on in this box and dine event at the Emperor's Palace near O'R Tambo Airport. Southpaw Kanoi beat Butler to the punch several times, catching him flat-footed at times. But he couldn't handle the thin high-felt air once the South African attacked the body in the sixth and seventh rounds. Butler's coach Colin Nathan, in an exclusive interview with Channel Africa Sport, says he is very happy with his boxer's performance. 
Yeah, I thought it was a workmanlike performance, uh, kind of a veteran performance, if you could say, even though he's a little young at the A28, and he's still got a lot left off and very fresh at 28. So I was very very happy with his performance. They can fight back at the junior flyweight division, and, and I'm happy. I'm happy where we are. He looks strong, healthy, and for once, he actually looked bigger than an opponent. So, yeah, I'm very happy. And finally, in cricket news, Alastair Cook has resigned as England test captain after a record of 59 matches in charge. The 32-year-old Essex batsman took the role in 2012 and led his country to Ashes victories in 2013 and 2015. However, during last year's 4-0 Test Series defeat in India, he admitted to having questions over his role. The England and Wales cricket bot has started the process of selecting Cook's successor with his fellow batsman Joe Root regarded as the favourite. Thank you for tuning to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. For Channel Africa Sports, I'm Neto and Ito Chemani. This is Africa Digest. Nineteen fifty-six Central Africans are now let's recap out of stories. Zimbabwean activists will find out tomorrow if he'll be granted bail. Today is the International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation. And that wraps up Africa Digest for today. From myself, Spumele Lezondi, producer Luanda Mahomi, technical producer Wiseman Mangaile, and the rest of the team. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find us on email, info at channelafrica.co.za, on SMS, plus 27796-957930, on Twitter, Channel Africa One. We leave you with XN by Rengumatlingoz.
Nanini na Gubu ya mtanda 